Well, <clears throat> good morning. Uh, let me ask you to find Job. Um, not the elder, but the book of the Bible. I was visiting, we have an elder in our church named Job. But we're going to look at the, the book of Job this morning. You may be surprised. I see the surprise and disappointment on your faces. Uh, we had uh, someone else scheduled to preach today. <coughs> and uh, which was really nice. Karen and I had a, a work trip this past week. It was so nice to relax. My mind free, didn't have a sermon to prepare. And yesterday morning got word that uh, David Packer, who was scheduled to preach today, was having chest pains. He was actually at the airport and felt that he needed to go to the hospital. So uh, please keep him in your prayers. This is a brother who preached for us at Christmas. He's scheduled to come back. Uh, he's an old friend. We've uh, been friends since the 80s, but haven't seen each other in probably 30 years. So, of course, my first response was, some people will do anything to avoid seeing me, even after 30 years. But he felt good enough to joke back, so I think trust that he's felt okay. But I do pray for him and his family. His wife had already left for the U.S. They're trying to, they're planning to transition to the U.S. So it's a lot of uh, packing for the Packers, <laughs> a lot of transition for them. So uh, do please pray for David and Lana, and uh, we look forward to hearing him if God allows him to come back our way. So um, that also means I've uh, prepared something a little different today. So we'll be looking at the book of Job today. And then our study of Proverbs, where we've been for several weeks, and we've seen many times this foundational principle that uh, there, are, there are rules to live by, and if we live by those rules, that, that is, there are consequences for our actions. There are rules. And if we make the right choices, we, that leads to a life that is good and full and blessed. But sometimes life doesn't play by the rules. Sometimes we, we do everything we think Proverbs tells us to do, and we avoid all the things it tells us to avoid. And yet what happens is exactly the opposite of what our choices are intended and what, our, what we're led to expect. So what do we do when, when life doesn't play by the rules? Uh, it's confusing and it's disappointing and at some point, whether we want to admit it or not, our, often our disappointment is with God himself. It's as if he's broken a promise, he's let us down, he's, he's not come through. Well, this is the exact situation we see in the book of Job. We have a very good man who lives by, quote, the rules, lives a proverbial wise life, and then suffers unimaginably. And the book of Job is part of what the Bible calls wisdom literature, like the Proverbs, like we've been studying the past few weeks, but also includes a Song of Songs that we've referred to, as well as Ecclesiastes. Uh, so wisdom is a theme throughout the book of Job, uh, not as prominent maybe as it is in Proverbs and other places, but it's there. For example, in chapter 28, uh, Job asked the question, where can wisdom be found? And he goes to this long list of places where wisdom cannot be found, but then he concludes with this statement that has become very familiar to us, in our study of Proverbs, in verse 28 of chapter 28, the Lord said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. We've encountered that, that, phrases, that, that phrasing many times in our study of Proverbs. The New Testament writer, James, the Lord's brother, said this about Job and his experience. We pick up in the latter part of that verse, James chapter 5 and verse 11. He says, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, what is not clear in the NIV translation is that uh, there is a, a, a that in, the, in between about and the Lord. That is, 
What James is saying is the outcome of God's dealings with Job is that the Lord is compassion. He is full of compassion and mercy. This is the outcome. So that's the outcome of Job's story is the Lord's compassion and mercy. And yet in the midst of Job's sufferings, that's probably not what he felt. He probably didn't feel a lot of compassion, a lot of mercy. He felt anger and disappointment and confusion, and he's expressing all of that in a very honest way. But we feel the same way when we suffer. We tend to feel wronged by God. We question God's goodness. We might become bitter and abandon our faith in him, become overwhelmed. All of those things are, are part of our experience. Well, whatever you're suffering today, I want you to know there is an outcome. There is a future that will lead you to say, along with James, the outcome of all of this is the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. It may not feel like it today. That day is coming. I don't know when that day will be. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe the last day. I don't know. But this I know, this I am convinced of, that day is coming. And I, my desire is that today will be a means of hope for us in the midst of suffering, in the midst of what may be a really confusing and puzzling and painful situation. The scriptures give us hope. So this morning, first we'll take a look at Job's story. I'll summarize what is a quite long story. And then we'll look at three things Job did that I believe the Lord can use to give us hope in times when, when we suffer, when life doesn't play by the rules. So let's look first at Job's story. So Job was a righteous and blameless man. He feared the Lord greatly. Uh, the Lord said there was no one like him in the earth. He was the greatest of all the men of his area, greatest, the greatest of all the men of the east. He was wealthy with a lot of livestock, many servants, large family, had seven children. And it, he, he didn't love his wealth, but he, his, his greatest concern was his relationship with the Lord and his children's relationship with the Lord. He deeply desired that they thrive spiritually more than anything else. And the narrator of the story tells us something that Job did not know. There was a dialogue between the Lord and Satan, our enemy. And in that dialogue, Satan claimed that Job only loved the Lord, only feared the Lord, only worshipped the Lord because the Lord had blessed him, because the Lord had been good to him, had given him all this wealth and, and family and blessing, material and otherwise. So Satan said to the Lord, take away the blessings and Job will curse you to your face. And the Lord allowed Satan access to Job's life. And as a result, in one day, all of Job's livestock and servants were either taken or killed. And just as he's hearing news of this, he received word that the house where his children had all gathered and were celebrating together, that house had collapsed on his children, and all of them were killed. There's another dialogue between the Lord and Satan, the same thing he said, and then soon after that, Job is afflicted physically with sores from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. He's in tremendous pain. So he has lost all of his possessions, all of his wealth. Now he's lost his health in just ongoing, consistent, unceasing pain. Then three friends of his, their names are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They heard what happened to Job and they came to comfort him. They wept with him. In fact, it says when they saw him, they couldn't even recognize him. But when they came to him, they sat with him, they wept with him, and no one said a word for seven days. 
And then Job speaks after that. Once he speaks, there begins this dialogue among the, the four of them about the meaning of Job's sufferings, about why this has happened. And his friends say that Job's sufferings are because of some sin on his part. He has done something to bring this about. And if he will just acknowledge his sin, if he will repent, he'll find mercy in the Lord because God is, is good and merciful. And they are almost right. <laughs> uh. Job responds that his sufferings are actually not because of anything he did, and he desperately wants to talk to God about this. He wants an audience with the ultimate king and judge. Their dialogue goes back, back and forth for several times, and I would urge you, if you do read the book of Job, um, well, I'd say read it at one sitting. However, it's 42 chapters, and so that's daunting <laughs> for anyone. So if you're going to break it in sections, you can see the sections at the beginning, but, but try to take the, the sections of dialogue. That is, there's a place where a friend speaks and Job responds. And you can, there's a cycle in which they all do that. And if you have time to take that larger cycle, that's good. But if you, if you don't have as much time, you, know, you read what Eliphaz says and then you read what Job says. It's because it's just really confusing. If you just take one of the friends... You really don't get a good picture. That's, you need to read the whole book. It's, I think it's meant to read, be read, in, if not at a setting, at least try. <laughs> okay. So this is, this is one area of Scripture where it is really dangerous to take one verse out of context and, and base your life on it. You can really take a, make some wrong choices on that. So the dialogue goes back and forth. Um, after, after several rounds of this, another man speaks up. His name is Elihu. And Elihu is not mentioned at all until he speaks. It's possibly because he is younger than all of those other men. But even though he is younger, he is wiser. And again, we see this theme of wisdom. It's in the book. So though he is younger, he hasn't spoken until all these men have spoken and they've all grown, just have closed their mouths. This man speaks. Though he is younger, he is wiser. And he rebukes the three friends because they have condemned Job unjustly. And he rebukes Job because he has defended himself. He's justified himself before God. So Elihu has a rather long speech. At the end of that, it looks like there's a storm approaching and the Lord speaks out of this storm. And so the Lord then responds to Job's complaint, but he does not respond in a way that, that Job expects. The point of the Lord's speech to Job is, Job, I am God and you are not. The Lord doesn't apologize. He doesn't explain anything, doesn't even act embarrassed. It's not like he, he shows up and says, you know, gosh, I just made this deal with the devil and it just all went wrong. He didn't do that. He just says, I'm God and you're not. We'll look at this in a little more, a little more detail in a few minutes. So Job responds to the Lord with repentance and with humility. And then the Lord rebukes Job's three friends not Elihu. Elihu escapes rebuke. But he rebukes the three friends because, and this is important, he says, you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. And then the Lord restored, restored Job's health and fortunes, gave him, even gave him seven more children. Uh, boy, it's like, you know, could he have gotten those as adults, not have to go through all I don't know. That's the weird thing I think when I read this. Like, you've got to start over seven times. Come on, the teenagers. Oh, I don't want to repeat that. So, but, you know, God is God. I am not, and neither is Job. So 
But the book concludes with this, Job died an old man full of years. So that, that's, that's the story that I've uh, summarized terribly. Now I want us to consider three things that Job did that'll be a help to us when we face similar experiences, when it seems like we've made the right choices and yet things fall apart, disaster and loss and, and pain confront us and surround us. So the first thing to learn from Job is worship. Okay. See this in chapter 1, verse 20, when, when all of this happened, this is uh, after all of the loss, before he had, uh, his health was afflicted, but he said this, At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job worshipped when he heard this devastating news about the loss of his possessions, the substance of his wealth, as well as his family. So worship, at its heart, acknowledges the worth of God. That's where the word comes from. Remember Satan's challenge to God. Job only worships you because you have blessed him. Take away the blessings, he will curse you. But without knowing what is going on behind the scenes, Job chooses to worship amid loss and pain, and that is an incredible victory over Satan's schemes. And we need to understand that this is really one of the primary lessons of the book of Job. It is not why bad things happen to good people. It is, the lesson is this, the Lord is worthy of our worship no matter what happens. He is worthy. He is God, we are not, and he is, he is worthy. The questions of why things happen, honestly, they rarely get answered. But this we know, he is worthy, as we sang earlier today, right? So through very real and bitter tears, Job recognizes that the things he has lost, they're not things with which he started life. They're not things that he will take into the next life. And so though the loss is incredibly painful, it's not something that is necessary for his joy in God. So you can have joy in God even amidst heartbreaking loss. This is possible. And it doesn't mean you're, you're leaping about like my fellow countrymen, superficial Americans. But you can have a joy that surpasses the, the grief and the sorrow in the midst of it. And many of you have experienced it, and I, as I have, uh, exactly what I'm talking about. So second lesson from Job is that we have to acknowledge God's sovereignty. So God's sovereignty means three things here. It means first that he is ultimately in control of everything that happens to us. So after Job is afflicted physically, then his wife challenges him. His, verse 9 Chapter 2, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, she may have been motivated by sympathy for him, thinking if he would just curse God, he could die and his sufferings would be over. And how you can't help but wonder if Job said, you know, Satan, did you miss somebody? <laughs> it's like, this woman's annoying me. So his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And again, notice the statement. In all this, 
Job did not sin in what he said. But that's a very important statement. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? The word that Job uses for trouble literally means evil. Job is completely unaware of this conversation between the Lord and Satan. That may have been plain enough to him that Satan was behind the theft and the murders and those kinds of things. But honestly, Job did not spend a lot of time trying to figure all of that out. He just recognized that ultimately, behind the ultimate cause behind everything is God. And this thought is both comforting to us, it's also troubling, right? God is sovereign. The text, the story makes that crystal clear. He was in complete control. He allowed the livestock to be taken. He allowed the servants to be killed. He allowed the children to be killed accidentally, the building collapsing. The thing is, he could have stopped it, and he didn't. He didn't cause it. He's not the, God is not the cause of evil. He's not the perpetrator of evil. And yet it troubles us that there are things he could stop that he doesn't. He allows it, and that is where we have to trust. He is, he is good. He has his reasons. Sometimes he gives us a clue. But until then, as we wait, we trust because he is sovereign and he's good. You and I are not going to find hope without acknowledging that very thing, that ultimately God is sovereign. He's in control of the circumstances of our lives. Is Satan involved? Um, maybe. I, I don't think Satan, Satan needs my help very much. I seem to do a fine job of wrecking my own life, right? But we don't have to understand that, okay? Satan cannot have access to your life that God does not allow. And even Satan's evil intentions and his plans can only carry forward God's purposes. So remember the night Jesus was betrayed when he said to Simon Peter, this is in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. And so again, it's, it's like this conversation, again, like, like happened between Satan and the Lord, it's happened again. He's demanded permission to sift Jesus' apostles, his followers, like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I find this one of the most interesting, comforting, and troubling passages in all of Scripture. Because Jesus' intercession didn't prevent his failure. It didn't prevent Satan from tempting him. It didn't prevent Simon denying him. But it guaranteed his return. See? It, that is a part of the mystery in all of this. Jesus' intercession is just as real and more effective than Satan's schemes. But Jesus' intercession for us, and he does intercede for each of us, that doesn't guarantee we won't have heartache and loss and failure, but it does guarantee that, as Micah says, do not rejoice over me, O my enemy, though I fall, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. Ultimately, God rules. Whatever the situation is, you can trust him. A second thing God's sovereignty means is that he has the freedom to do as he will, and he doesn't have to answer to anyone. He's God, we're not. So in chapter 1, Job said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. So the Lord acknowledged, Job acknowledged God as the one who has the freedom to give and to take anything. Anything. There, there, is, there is nothing that is um, beyond his ability to give or take. He is God. And Job, uh, the Lord himself makes this point powerfully when he does speak to Job. And he asks Job a series of pointed questions. This is later in the book, in, in this 
time when the Lord speaks directly. He says in chapter 38, verse 4, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. The idea is, Job, I've created the world. Where were you? you you're not in a position to ask to hold me to account. Chapter 14, verse 2, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God, that is Job, answer him. So he's saying, Job, you, you have an accusation to make with me? Actually, you're the one who needs to answer. I don't answer to you. I'm the creator. I am God, and you are not. The point of all of these questions to Job is that very thing. God is God. He doesn't answer to anyone. This can be troubling, but he's, the Lord is not just sovereign. He's good. He's, I like the statement at the end of uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. You know, Aslan is not a tame lion, <laughs> but he's good. Uh, it's scary, but it's good. So we have to bow and humbly recognize that God is God. We're not. He's in control. He has a purpose. He's always doing something. None of this is without purpose or meaning. There is an outcome ahead of us that will cause us to say the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. I don't know when that day will come, but that day will come, and we can trust the Lord now and until then. And that is because the third thing that God's sovereignty means is that he is for us. We tend to think when calamity happens that God is against us. Somehow God is mad at us, upset with us, and yet what, this, what God's sovereignty means for us is that he is for us. He is not against us, and he relentlessly pursues our conformity to the character of Christ. This is why it all happens for us. In one way or another, it contributes to that. And this is the point of Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, where Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son. That is the good to which God is always working in us. That he, the Son, Jesus Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That Jesus might have the preeminence in your life. That he might get the glory from your life. That you might be conformed to him. Made more like him. Savoring and enjoying living life with and in him. John Piper said it this way. I think I've used this quote before. It's one of my favorite Piperisms. He says, there's so much pain... So many setbacks and discouragements. So many controversies and pressures. I do not know where I would turn if I did not believe that Almighty God is taking every setback and every discouragement and every controversy and every pressure and every pain and stripping it of its destructive power and making it work for the enlargement of my joy in God. There is nothing that comes your way that God will not take. Even though it may destroy things that, that are precious to you, He will strip it of its real destructive power and use it to enlarge your joy in God, to make you more like Christ. This you can trust. And you will be able to look back one day and say, the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. We come to a third lesson from Job. 
That is to pour out your heart honestly to God. Job did this. For there, there are first there are expressions of grief in Job. Job grieved honestly. He didn't hide his pain. He wasn't stoic. Chapter three says, first thing he says, the first thing he says is, I wish I'd never been born. In chapter six, he says, if only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. Have you ever felt like that? Just such anguish and pain and sorrow and disappointment. All of these things. Overwhelming. And Job is not the only one who has felt that way. We find it also in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 8, after Stephen is martyred, after he is killed, it says in Acts chapter 8 verse 2, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Okay, they mourned deeply. Loudly. It says in other translations, they made loud lamentation over him. See, they didn't say, well, you know, Stephen was a sinner, so he deserved what he got. They didn't say, hey, at least he saw Jesus standing, you know. Or, hey, what an honor, the first martyr. Anybody here today named Stephen, Stephanie? Anybody, middle name, anybody? You know, it's almost always a Stephen in the room, right? Like, man, think of the kids that'll be named after you. <laughs> like, you know, that is of little comfort in that moment, right? They... That was not what they felt in that moment. They felt anguish and sorrow. Their brother had been killed, had been killed brutally in the name of God. It was a travesty of justice. So it's okay. It's good to be honest and express grief when it's there. Pour out your heart to God and do it in the company of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't walk this path alone. If you are grieving, if you are in pain, don't walk this path alone, please. But there are not just expressions of grief. There are expressions of trust. So in the process of pouring his heart out, Job made some just tremendous confessions of faith. In chapter 19, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I am not another. How my heart yearns within me. That is one of the, the clearest, strongest statements about resurrection in the Old Testament. There are others, but this is emphatic. It's clear, physical, bodily resurrection. Seeing the Lord, seeing our Redeemer who redeems us, not just from pain and sorrow and disease and affliction, but from death itself. That day is coming. And Job got a glimpse of it in, in the midst of his sorrow and pain and and in chapter 23, he says this in terms of his present life, but he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Job has this moment of, of objectivity. He can step back and see his sufferings in light of a larger purpose and know that God is doing something and it will be good. Today is horrible. Today is anguish. Today is confusion and disappointment and pain. And I don't understand what's happening, but the gold will come. So as you pray, pray honestly. You'll find the Lord is also teaching you about himself. He's teaching you about trusting him. And in time, this finds expression in your life and in your words. We've seen this in our lives as well as God has taken us through hard things. And yet, as we walk through that, God deepens our faith and our trust in him. And we, we are learning to trust Less and less in outcomes, more and more in the Lord. But there's a, 
a third way that we pour ourselves out honestly to, go, to the Lord. That is expressions of lament. So we've talked about grief, we've talked about trust, but there is also lament because we tend to go one of two ways in suffering. We tend to think we deserve better, so we curse God and become some kind of atheist, or we tell ourselves we deserve worse and we, saw, we fall into self-pity and we hide our, our anger at God behind really what's a false humility. We say, well, you know, I deserve hell. I'm not in hell yet, so I'm still getting less than I deserve. You know, really, neither of these is, is wise. What Scripture gives us is lament. Lament is the honest prayer of the righteous sufferer. This is not cursing God. This is expressing trust in Him despite a situation, despite what is wrong. It's like saying, God, you are good. You are sovereign. This is wrong. When are you going to fix this? How long, Lord? How long until you make this right? God, you are good. You are sovereign. You are wise. This is wrong. When are you going to act? When are you going to fix this? This much is clear from Job. There is such a thing as innocent suffering. It's not cursing, but it's trusting. I'm sorry, the wrong paragraph. There is such a thing as innocent suffering. Is a small child that's abused by her parents a sinner? Yes. Does she deserve this abuse from her parents? Not at all. Absolutely not. You could plug in a dozen other scenarios. Yes, we're all sinners. That doesn't mean we deserve the specific suffering that happens to us. There is such a thing as innocent suffering. Some suffering has no connection to our choices. Some does, and it's not a bad idea to, to explore that and to ask, have I done something that has brought this? Have I made a foolish choice that has brought destruction, some uh, something consequences to my life? But there may not be a clear answer to that question. And you go back to God with that. It's also true that, that every pain and sorrow and suffering, every evil, we can trace back to Adam and Eve. But that, again, that there may or may not be a connection between what we do and the things we suffer. Not yet. We'll see it in time. Today we may not. Most of what Job says in the book make this very point. He's not saying he has no sin at all. That's clear from the first chapter from our introduction to him. But he, what he is saying is he cannot see how his sufferings are connected to anything he's done. He's so honest in his lament that, well, I mean, it makes me uncomfortable. It may not bother you, but it's, it makes me a little, little uncomfortable. For example, in chapter 10, says this. Job says, I say to God, don't declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked? You ever said that to God? I dare say I have not. <laughs> okay. I just cannot bring myself to say that. Then I congratulate myself for being better than Job, right? So this is just all a disaster. Um, but think of the, the sheer honesty in this. Now, now, Job is not really making so much a theological statement as expressing this lament. He's saying, this is what it looks like. It looks like you're smiling on the wicked and, and pursuing me. I mean, there's right after that, he says, it's like you are just pursuing me to death. You may feel like that, and it's okay to express that to the Lord. Yes, keep an attitude of reverence, but I mean, the Lord knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're thinking. Be honest in your prayers, okay? It's, that's just part of having a real relationship with somebody. 
So remember at the end, the Lord rebukes Job's friends. What he says to them is, you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So notice, here are the guys who are saying, Job, you've done something wrong. God is right, so confess your sins. And Job is saying, God is pursuing me. He's smiling on the wicked and oppressing me. And God says, Job is one who's speaking honestly, not you guys. Lament is based on the assumption that God is good and wise and sovereign and just and acts with a purpose. That he listens and will answer in his way and in his time. Okay. That allows us to lament honestly. It is a confidence in a good and wise God who will fix this in his time. And we find ourselves waiting and waiting and waiting. But he is good. He is worth waiting for. We can trust him. He doesn't condemn you for expressing to him what is in your heart. We find other examples of Levant in Scripture. Nearly half the Psalms have some kind of complaint. Again, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but you ever said this, Lord, where are you? That's in the Psalms. Lord, why have you abandoned us? That's in the Psalms. How long, O Lord, will you wait? Prayed that. Will you forget me forever? Anybody say that to God? You're going to forget me forever? Like you've forgotten me. Not just forgotten. You're going to forget me forever? you ever going to remember that I am here and I am hurting and I am going through this? Those, those are honest prayers from the Psalms. We find it also in the New Testament. John writes in Revelation chapter 6 of the cry of the martyrs for divine vengeance. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? You know, I read this, I'm tempted to think, you know, you're in heaven. Shouldn't you be nicer? (laughs) And instead, I mean, like I think, okay, I get mad at somebody. I'm thinking, yes, I'm like, you know, sons of thunder, you know, pour down fire on this person who's upset me, you know, cut me off in traffic or something. Okay, I'll admit, true confession Driving in traffic, what has really helped me, you take the button on the the handbrake, you push the button, and you pretend it launches missiles into the car in front of you. I want to tell you, that is freeing, okay? That'll help you. Okay, it's not a real godly counsel, and I really regret that this is like streamed and recorded, and it won't be around forever. But yes, I will confess, I do that. There you go. But here are these in heaven who are praying for vengeance. That's, it must be okay. <laughs> they didn't get kicked out for praying this way. Now, they, were, they weren't rebuked for this. They said, basically, the Lord says, yeah, here's a robe, even though, I don't know, don't seem to have a body, but here's a robe. And then you got to wait because there are more people who have yet to be killed. So we're waiting for the rest of you to get here. Then we'll take care of all of that. It's, it's a... It is a matter of time, and that day is coming. So lament, it is God's gift to us to allow us to go to God, express our confidence in him that he is good and sovereign and wise, and there is a wrong situation, and we ask him to fix it. We ask it to 
him to resolve it. We ask him to give us hope and to help us follow faithfully in those kinds of things. So as we look at Job, we realize that we only know the story because of the narrator, okay? Job has no idea what's going on throughout the story. He does now, but he didn't then. It's kind of like being in an escape room. Have you guys ever done one of those? We've done a couple of those. Okay, I'll tell you one thing you do not want to do in Prague is go to an escape room with me, okay? <laughs> Let me just tell you, you will die of old age. Um, but yeah, eventually, you know, we, we bump and fumble around having no clue that literally everything in the room has meaning and we're just, you know, I, I won't implicate Karen, I, you know, like, what are we supposed to do? I'm, I'm sure there's some solution here. Can't figure out what to do. And eventually this voice comes in and says, okay, you know, look over here, <laughs> you know, push this button. <laughs> or finally toward the end, it's like, I'm just going to help you guys out. I just push the button and the little box pops open and we get what we need. It's like, okay, that's how bad I am at escape rooms. But without the narrator, I might have never gotten out, okay? Well, that's what we have in Job. We have the narrator. But often we go through life wanting to hear the voice of the narrator. God, what is going on? I do not understand. And you face heart-rending, gut-wrenching loss, things that are confusing that don't make sense. You need to know in time they will. And you can trust. There is a narrator. There is a, a narration. You don't know the details, but he is guiding you toward an end that is good. And the end of that story says the Lord is compassionate and he is full of mercy. So we ask those questions. How long until I hear the narrator's voice? How long until I understand? How long will you let this go on? I ask those questions myself sometimes. So I can't answer them today, but I know the day is coming. The answers are coming. And while we wait, we can worship. We can acknowledge God is sovereign. We can pour out our hearts honestly before him. And when we bless him, we trust him, we worship him in the midst of losses and pain and anguish. We have a victory like Job's. It's like Paul told the church at Ephesus, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. See this? You have wisdom and you have Satan or his, his minions. And yet what, what embarrasses them? It is when we cling to Christ, when we continue to worship, when we continue to trust in the face of catastrophic loss. That gives the devil a black eye. That embarrasses Satan and that exalts Jesus. So continue. That declares the wisdom of God to all of his enemies. And there's something else we need to know. That there is someone who lived a more righteous life than Job. There's someone who was more of a delight to Job, to the Lord, than Job was. Someone who suffered more than Job. Someone who trusted and suffered and lamented. This we see of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 27, it says about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus uttered a lament and he got his answer, right? Shortly after he died, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, giving access to God, a Roman soldier at the foot of the cross says, truly this man is the son of God. The nations are brought to salvation. Um, it says in Matthew's gospel that there were a few dead people raised to life. So there's the resurrection. As he's asking why, here is his answer. You see women standing at the age, the, the marginalized are brought to the kingdom. 
So yes, he got his answer. That gives us hope that there are answers. So when we feel like crying that same prayer, we may not get our answer as quickly as he did, but the answer is coming. Okay. Because he suffered and died and rose again, he offers you and me something today that Job could never offer us. He offers us hope and comfort, forgiveness, life with him now and forever. So if you will come to Jesus, if you will renounce yourself, put your hope in him, you will find forgiveness, you'll find freedom, you'll find life, you'll find hope, you'll find what your heart hungers for in the midst of loss and suffering, in the midst of life not playing by the rules, you'll find, you'll find Christ himself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you indeed are enough for us, that life offers us Few answers causes more questions to us, but our hope is in you. I pray for my brothers and sisters here with me today who are, or those watching online that you will grant us grace to worship you. You will help us trust your sovereignty and you'll help us to pour out our hearts to you in honest prayer and lament and hope. And I pray for my, my brothers and sisters today, that you will bring us through whatever dark valley we find ourselves in today to a place of, of trust, to a place of, of contentment in you, despite the difficulties of the situations in which we find ourselves. We thank you, put our hope in you, for you do not fail. And Father, we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.